Welcome to the Modern Savage Podcast. This is episode two. My guest today is not only a very good friend of mine, but also a kindred spirit. Among his many endeavors, he is an accomplished chef and gardener, whose love of cooking and cuisine extends beyond the kitchen, to the land where our food comes from, and the role it plays in our culture, both present and past. Please welcome my friend Ben. So you like the basement? Yeah. Yeah? It's fantastic. I appreciate that. Yeah, I put a lot of work into it. Just real, uh, real woodsman vibes. <laughs> We're in Wisconsin, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, the pegboard was a, was a cool thing to do. It just, you can put things up, move them around any way you want, so I'm yeah. happy with it. Yeah, rich literature collection. One tries. One tries, right? <laughs> Most of them I've read, some of them I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's coming along, though. You got your seeds in the ground, or not in the ground yet? But have you started? Uh, you started looking at where you're gonna, what you're gonna do with the garden this spring? I have some intention. I got the father-in-law started out with, uh, with some, but I gotta, I gotta get mine going. Otherwise, I'm gonna have baby tomatoes again. <laughs> <laughs> now, when do you start your seeds indoors? Because I feel like last year I got mine going too soon. Yeah. And that I don't want to do that this year. Like about now. About Basically, now? It, it really? depends on like what you're growing too. Like some stuff yeah. takes longer and everything, but um, like the front end stuff, the stuff you're going to put out right away, that'll mm-hmm. be about now. Um, it's stuff that's a little more hardy. And then like tomatoes, peppers, that'll be probably a month from now, I think. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have mm-hmm. to look at it a little bit more. But what are you planning on doing in the garden this year? Um, I don't know. I've had way more success with like the squashes and the hardy stuff anyway. So I'll okay. probably do a lot of that. I like like whipping that all up into like you know purees and mm-hmm. cooking with it and everything mm-hmm. soups well, we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into the cooking of that you know for sure so do you have are you gonna do anything different this year than you have in the past because uh, you have a lot of shade where you're at so you yeah. have to are you gonna i know that we've been working on stuff like sort of along the in, the sides of the houses and in front of the house to sort of expand the growing footprint but is that something you're looking to do this year as well so this year I'm going to play it a little bit easy because we're going to redo like our garage, I think. And so we're going to manage like the sunlight a little bit better potentially sure. too. It'd be sweet to do a green roof as well, actually. So yes, it would. Your own stuff on there. Um, Is that something you're actually considering? Potentially. It, it'll depend on. I haven't ever looked into that. That yeah. seems like it would be fairly involved or is it not? Uh, I don't think it's that bad. Because I, I mean, you have to like accommodate the weight. Yeah. So right? you just have to have a and strong then the, the runoff. Roof. Right. Well, so runoff you won't have as much of because that's kind of the point is like... what I, I guess what I mean by runoff is accommodating the water that would be on the roof that you would be using for the growing. Yeah, and I think, I, I guess, general concept would be it's going to rain on these things. They're right. going to suck up more and everything else just needs, like, you just have holes in the bottom of your stuff to run it through to the gutter as it normally would. Sure. Is it a flat roof? No, it's not. So is it, it's slightly, like... It's slightly angled. I think that would make it slightly more complicated, but... Well, I mean, we'll depending on how, you know, the degree of the pitch, I mean, it might not be that bad. If it's just enough pitch that the water can run off, it would still be, I imagine you could still get up there and do it fairly yeah. easily. And some of those plants are kind of badass, too. It doesn't matter how big of a pitch or anything. Exactly. It's just a matter of, like, managing so my garden doesn't fall on my cars. Yeah, no, that would that would definitely be, uh, that would be some news. I feel like I'd get that text in the morning and be like, yeah, man, it's not looking good today. <laughs> yeah, remember that roof thing we talked about? <laughs> That's a terrible idea. <laughs> terrible idea. It didn't play out. Yeah. But, um, so... So you're going to redo the garage, and and then what are you thinking as far as the garden then? So potentially like re-landscape because we have a couple levels and stuff. So like I have an area that's super soggy, and then I have an area that's like way drier mm-hmm. and that gets good light where it's better peppers, tomatoes kind of thing. Sure. Um, 
so just doing it so I have a flat uniform area, probably more sunlight everywhere mm-hmm. and trying to manage it that way. So that that's kind of a next year project, like do a lot of that setup work this year and to have that like ready to go next year. So this year probably take it a little bit easier on the, the growing stuff and keep Does it, it surprise you that more people don't garden? Yeah, I think it's probably pretty easy to give up on too. I think a lot of people just, oh, I only got – 10 tomatoes this first year and uh-huh. i'm not going to do it again it's, you know it's more than just throwing a seed in the soil as, sure. as you well know and so just getting a, any level of commitment with people is probably more difficult so I, I think i'm not necessarily surprised but i'm also a huge cynic so <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's something that you and i are obviously so passionate about yeah and i guess my question is like where for you where does that come from i know where it comes from me but like when we sit down and talk about this, like we've been in groups of people before where I think that people are curious about it, but there seems to be some sort of a barrier from curiosity to implementation. And I don't necessarily know what that is because I think we would agree that while it is, it certainly can be a nuanced subject depending on how involved you want to get with it, like anything, at least the initial foray into the endeavor is not overly complicated. And yet people still don't seem to do it. Like, we've had people where they've got questions for you and questions for me, but at the end of it, like, summer comes and you and I are the only ones out there doing it. Why do you think that is? Because pick and save so easy to go to. And it's just, while it's not hard to get into gardening, it's that much easier just to go to the store and buy your stuff. Okay. Do you really, I mean, I, I hope that it's not that. I mean, don't you think, I, one of the things that, that I get into so much about it is that it's so rewarding to to take the process from start to finish to get the seed to plant it to watch it grow to sort of tend to it through the season and also you know you and i are both huge into like everything in the kitchen you know which we'll get into in a little bit but there simply is no way that anything at any market no matter i mean unless you are literally went there and it was picked that morning can compete with what you're going to go out into your own property and, and harvest off the vine yeah, for sure. And I, it's probably a weird mental thing, but I like, I absolutely will go to the mat and say like, this tastes better. Like the stuff that I grew in my yard tastes better than anything else. And right. It's a freshness thing, but it's also just a mental of like, hey, I did this, I grew this. This is well. There's an know. inherent satisfaction yeah. in that, like that I did this, and like that. I mean, I think that you know, you and I are very much into the do-it-yourself projects. I mean, anybody who knows me knows that that's like just sort of a cornerstone of who I am, but. Yeah, I completely agree. That self-satisfaction of, and then also to take it from your yard and then to do something where, yes, obviously fresh tomatoes sliced and salted, there's nothing better than that in the world. Yeah. But if you can take that and then do something more involved with it, all of a sudden you're making like, you know, some sort of phenomenal like red sauce for homemade pasta. I think that the more you're able to do, the more satisfying it is. Yeah, agreed. And, and again, I I believe it's just a convenience factor for people that they think, oh, this will take too much work. This will take too much time. Where did you learn your skills in the garden? Is it self-taught? Yeah. Yeah, because we, growing up, we didn't really grow stuff all that much, kind of city boy through and through, and my parents didn't do a ton. And so now they do because I got them into it. But mm-hmm. um, initially it was just kind of, yeah, some 
organic interest on my part and then saying, oh, you know, we lived in an apartment at the time and I dug a four by four, like little garden area, put some stuff around it so rabbits wouldn't get in, you know, grew tomatoes one year. Yeah. And then that just like kept expanding from there. So basically that and then mm-hmm. a, you know, inherent paranoia of the food system collapsing and wanting to do my own stuff. But Which is only kind of a joke. Yeah. Yeah. It was especially this year like looking at like panics of people like oh we were totally sold out of toilet paper all it's like i don't want to be in a position where i'm fully reliant on that so do it yourself kind of be able like at least prove myself that like i can do it like you know rubber hits the road like i I need to fully do it i can support myself i think that you have the skill set yeah and you can apply it if necessary exactly no i think that so let's talk about sort of a little bit about like what Tell me about when you when you're getting ready to like start your garden. When you're looking towards the season, like what's going on in your head? Not necessarily from just like a technical standpoint, although that too. But like, what is it that it does for you? Like as far as like your mind or your heart or like for me, I find like a just a very deep sense of enjoyment of being out there, hands in the soil. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that really like pops up when you say that to me is. Um, I really, when I'm looking through like for seeds and like in a catalog and everything, I look for stuff that's not like I find on the grocery store store shelf. Sure. And you know, maybe it's a different colored pepper or, you know, something that's a little off the beaten path that may, it might be a little more difficult to grow. And that's why I have stuff just die off all the time. Sure. But also like, I think in terms of, if you want to talk like bigger impact, like if I can start growing a tomato that doesn't commonly grow and you know, we get that. A, it's it's a different thing to eat. It's, you know, super cool for, you know, my daughter and kids to, like, see, like, oh, this isn't, like, a tomato isn't this exact thing that you find at the grocery store and you can find here, you can find in Idaho, you can find in Texas, like, you can find everywhere. It's, you know, these things grow in different regions and it, having that, you know, understanding for them is great. But then, B, like, if we can keep growing stuff like this and keep, like, some diversity in our food system is something that I'm really interested in, too. Um why interested in from what standpoint just from the standpoint of you know i guess you could see a road where we all get to the you know we're eating this one bar that tastes exactly the same every time it's got all the nutrients you need but there's nothing else to it Mm -hmm. and so it's probably the culinary side a little bit of saying hey we can play with flavors we can change this around but then also just from a there's so many species that go extinct or and you know that's plants that's animals all this like to be able to like be a part of keeping that going for different things is I could not agree more yeah. one of the things that I think and I know you and I share this but one of the things that I think is interesting that people don't make more of a connection with is is conservation hunting farming and gardening and then cuisine yeah I think that people look at these as maybe you might say well, okay hunting and conservation I see where maybe there's there's a conversation here but I don't think people understand or it's not regularly discussed that there is a common theme among all of those things. And it's sort of the stewardship of the natural world and yeah. our place in it and then how we can celebrate that, not only in taking part in it out of doors, but also you know, with good stewardship, bringing it into our homes and sustaining ourselves and our families with it. And it becomes, there's almost an artistry to it. I think that you and I, I know we've talked about that in the past, that any 
we've been to, we know, you know, we ourselves, you know, aspire to be chefs of some fashion and we know people who are chefs and to watch and to, to take part in that process is to me one of the most enjoyable things that I do. Yeah, to- totally agree. I think uh, one of the things I got addicted with for a while was in Wisconsin specifically there was a like a turnip that grew here. It's mm-hmm. called a prairie turnip. And it kind of disappeared essentially for a while. It's something that used to be super prevalent and everything. And now, you know, you bring in, oh, you know, this is the type of corn that we grow throughout the United States kind of thing. But this prairie turnip, there's still like sources of it. And so I was finally able to get my hands on like basically like the seeds for it or, mm-hmm. you know, how you start it. And I, I'm super fired up about that. But like you said, it's just like the artistry of making the world a more colorful place and having, you know, this options essentially for oh you know i can try this kind of turnip i can do this prairie turnip that you know hasn't been around and so there's some novelty to it and maybe a little vanity on my part but definitely like the the beauty side of it i think is a big part of it there's a level of like i don't think romanticism is the wrong word to use i think it's probably the right word to use there's a romantic quality to it and i think that for a long time there people did just get sort of for whatever reason and it's another conversation i'm sure to have get sucked into this whole prepackaged, like instant microwave, you know, notion of, I mean, you could say food, but I guess it would say everything. And I think that you're starting to see maybe the pendulum swing back in the other way where it's like, no, you know what? I do want something that is genuine or authentic or handcrafted or locally grown or locally sourced. And I'm personally, I'm really happy to see that coming back. Yeah, no, agreed. And that was one of the things when I was looking at like the chicken, like whole debate and everything, and like the the little tiny like organic like groups of like three people. That's like, hey, we want to allow chickens in the city again, and like seeing that grow every year. To now it's a hundred people. Now there's a resolution passed that we can have chickens in the city again, and be able to see that grow. I think is awesome too. I'll tell you right now that like one of the ways that I knew when I first met you that you and I were going to be boys is the fact that you had chickens. Yeah. I mean, honestly. <laughs> Like we moved into the neighborhood, and they were like, oh, yeah, Ben's got chickens in his backyard. Yep. And I was like, that, okay, there's no way. Like, that fact alone, I'm like, 90%, we're going to be boys. Yep. And it was totally true. Yeah, tearing, tearing down the white picket fence and putting up the, the wire mesh chicken fence. I think that, you know, that's, you know, and again, I think, is that something that just sort of spun out of, you know, that first tomato seed? Where it was like, hey, I could grow tomatoes. Hey, I can grow other things. Maybe I can have a couple of chickens. Yeah, I, I mean, pretty much. And I think, again, looking at it, it's growing up and kind of throughout my life, it's, you know, you have this white egg that comes from a, the, the certain type of chicken. Mm-hmm. And then looking and seeing, like, there's green eggs, there's brown eggs, there's blue eggs, there's all this, like, that we just don't experience. I wonder how many people actually know that. I wonder how many people that you could go out there right now and show them a purple egg and they would not think that it had been dyed. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I really, I bet, What percentage-wise, I bet it's less than 20%. I, I was going to put the number at 20 at, high, at the at highest. At the highest. Yep. And the fact that there's such a spectrum out there that people just don't know. Yeah. Do you find that people, or have people come to you knowing that you have this knowledge base or knowing that you have this passion and asked for, like, your guidance or your advice or just help as far as their entry into this to some extent i I also think that it's 
you know, while it's a, like you said, it's a low threshold to be able to figure this stuff out and do it. Like, sure. you know, basically the next step up from cavemen, people did it. Um, right. And so I think once people just like get that sparklet, it's yeah. easy for them to take it mm-hmm. on their own. So yeah, while it's, Hey, you know, how did you get started in this? Or, you know, you know, what do you do? And it's basically, I put seeds in the ground and I water them and make sure they get sunlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of it. And they go, Oh, I can do this myself kind of thing and take it from there. So it's not like there's a ton of like guidance really mm-hmm. needed in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. What about you? Like, have you been approached that way? I have, I would say, um, you know, I think that with me, it's once something gets started and I, you know, get my teeth into it, it has a tendency to just sort of amplify itself, you know, continuously, you know, for example, this year, you know, we only have such a, uh, so much space here on the property. So if you can't grow it out, grow it up. So I've gotten big into trellising and for example, last year was the first time that I tried doing it. And, and, you know, typically you think of like a, you know, uh, like the miniature tomatoes, right? You think of something like a two foot or a three foot plant. I had eight feet plants. I literally, I had a hundred cherry tomatoes on one plant and I had multiple plants. I mean, I had so many of them and we're just giving them to friends and family, which is great. But if it works with cherry tomatoes, maybe it works with other tomatoes, maybe it works with peppers. I know that I've done, you know, beans and peas in the past. So I'm really interested you know, one of the things that I joke about sometimes is why do we have lawns? Yeah. I mean, unless, like, you can't do anything with that. It's ornamentation, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But wouldn't it be better to have something that you could eat? I think. I know you think. Yeah. I mean, I've planted, I have eight fruit trees on this property that I've planted myself. People have trees, but unless you're doing like if you're gonna have a tree that's great but let's do something with that tree that we can is useful yeah um and i just the more i do it the more i love it you know and it's just something that i look forward to i mean now that the weather's starting to warm up a little bit i can actually see you know pieces of grass poking through the snow yeah. i'm already thinking about like it's time to start looking at putting the seeds you know into the the grow houses and getting that going um one of the things that i'm looking to do this year is um, get one of those sort of, it's not an outdoor greenhouse, but it's one of those covered outdoor structures where you can, some of them are pretty fancy where you can actually monitor the temperature, yeah. but this one is just sort of covered with like heavy plastic so that it retains the heat yeah. and then transitioning my seeds from indoors to that before they go in the ground. I think that that was maybe a step last year that I, that I overlooked. Yeah. You, I've shocked plants before too, of like you get them out too soon and everything. So yeah, that. That's a great step. And I think to your point about like the lawns too is we can go back and look at like, all right, like when did like things change? Cause at some point, like, you know, even in the city, um, like it, basically every major city, like you could have chickens for a really long time. Yeah. And then at some point, like, and I think it's probably like sixties, seventies where it's like, Hey, we should have these lawns and everything should be beautiful. They start building these like Levittowns and suburbs and everything mm-hmm. that they said, all right, no more of that. But it's interesting again, that's pushing back. But I also like, would go to the city and the city would say, Oh no, like you can't have a natural lawn permit. Like kind of thing. Like just to let it go and like, have it be how I want it to look. It's like, why do I need a permit for that? Like, well, I think, you know, everything is overregulated. I think that, and I agree with your point. I think that, you know, if you're a student of history, you look back at pre world war two, the majority of this country is still predominantly agricultural. Yeah. World war two happens. Huge shift towards the city and industry world war ii is over and everyone's like i don't want to go back to working in the fields anymore 
I would rather have, you know, a, a more a comfortable yeah. life. And I think it was that desire for comfort that really sort of pushed things in that direction. But I think they took it too far. Yeah. And I think that that maybe over the past couple of decades, people have realized you may not want to spend your entire life laboring in the fields, but there is there's a part of us that needs that. You need to have that connection to the earth. And I think you and I and everyone that, you know, like us would say that there is something that goes beyond words as far as a satisfaction of life that you get when you do that. And then also to share it. Like when I come over and I see your daughter and she comes walking out and she's got a, you know, a tomato or a pepper that you grew there's, you're teaching her something about that. There's, there's a lesson in there that I think it goes, it, it's transcendent. Yeah. Oh, and I like absolutely cringe. Like you see like some little kids who I only eat white bread. Like, oh, kind of God. Like, man, you got to get diversity in that diet. And there's, you know, such this wide world that you're missing out on that can be delicious and too. And like the reason she eats that stuff is not just because I give it to her and say, you should eat this. Right. It's because she's out there helping me and growing it and sees, hey, this little seed that I started is now this tomato plant that I'm now eating and that. And there are lessons that she takes away from that that, that we could expound on <laughs> for hours and hours. I mean, not for this topic this time, but yeah. it's. I completely agree with that. And also, I think you know that you look at so many like people are so unhealthy these yeah. days. And you know, I've spoken with certain people, and you're like, people now suffer from disease conditions that just two generations ago were almost unheard of. And now it's the majority of people have these things. Well, the only thing that's really changed is one, our lifestyle, and two, our diet. Yep. People think it's some sort of a great mystery. And you're like, it's really not. You know? <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> like, Call the Hardy Boys. We solved it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I don't understand why people seem to think that this is, you know, some great enigma. But I don't know. So talk a little bit for me about how you got into being the chef that I know you to be. Like, is that something that was it, was it the gardening that came first? Was it the, was it the culinary interest that came first? Was it simultaneous? How did that happen? Yeah, I I think they probably go a little bit hand in hand. Um, and I'm also a product of, you know, coming through a formative like years where, you know, I'm slamming Taco Bell and like doing that. And then it's like, oh, Taco Bell is mostly just like trash, <laughs> like inside of it. It and- blew my mind when I found out that the meat is not actually, in Taco Bell is not actually, <laughs> it's not meat. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, that is insane. Yeah. Absolutely. How can that, and people don't know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, it's ground beef. Like, no, it isn't. You know what it is? It's silica. <laughs> yeah. It's sand. Sand and quartz. <laughs> like, first of all, how is that even allowed? Yeah. Yep. They feed troughs, man. But, and so it's figuring that out and like having that same mind-blowing revelation going, yeah, you know, maybe I'll start like growing my own stuff and not necessarily just trusting like, oh, yeah, I bought this from a place that sells food, therefore it's fine. Right. And going, Food, allegedly. Yeah, exactly. And so maybe I'll take this into my own hands a little bit. I'll grow some of my own stuff so yeah. I know where this is coming from. I know, you know, my chickens I'm not pumping with hormones. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mm-hmm. stuff that's coming from my ground isn't like on a former landfill. Right. Stuff like that. And 
kind of taking that all and going, all right, now I have all this stuff and let's turn it into something. Like, mm-hmm. let's make it even more beautiful than it is. Like, almost in honor of, like, yeah. these things that we have, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I think you'd echo that as well. A hundred percent. I see that in, in how you act too. But, um, yeah, so I think it's mostly that kind of thing. And then I just, I love to eat. That mm-hmm. also helps. I love delicious things. <laughs> what would you say, like, walk us through a little bit your, your development as as a chef um so i guess way way back was uh i started as a pizza chef mm-hmm. very qualified pizza chef for a pizza chain around here and just you know went oh this isn't hard like mm-hmm. this is easy to do and then in college like you know working some odd cafeteria jobs stuff like that in and out and just being generally familiar with like hey this stuff isn't like overly complicated and mm-hmm. then diving in a little more and going all right like i have to buy these sauce packets you mm-hmm. know at the store to make a sauce like how do i make that sauce and just deconstructing basically all the mm-hmm. things that i took for granted kind of sure and then again being able to incorporate like okay if i want to like make uh salsa these are the things i have to grow in my garden and, mm-hmm. and kind of tying those all in together sure and then just getting to the point of all right now i want to start like actually making some stuff that i don't eat often like that i'd have to like order at like this specific french restaurant that's the only place i can get were you drawn to certain types of cuisine um i think i'm drawn to trying new cuisines frequently so i i don't you know, I'll start with one, and once I think I get a good grasp on, you know, I, I think I can do Italian now. Sure. Then I'll jump over to Thai. Okay. And jump over to something else, like, as I kind of just have a general mastery so that I can go back and, and not even mastery, but, like, a general competency. Then I can go back and say, hey, I want to make a Pad Thai, like, sometime. I can still do that. Like, that's still, like, in my brain. Mm-hmm. And so it's just being able to, like, be like, hey, what do I feel like eating? And it can be across a huge spectrum instead of, oh, I can have mac and cheese or i can have spaghetti with red sauce kind of thing so just you know having a large repertoire of ideas in my head i think is what draws me to explore different things when you go to delve into some new area whether it be maybe like a new you know ethnicity as far as the food or a new style of cooking or perhaps you know um backing up even further and we're going to take it and we're going to we're going to make everything from scratch we're going to make our noodles from scratch we're going to make our bread from scratch how do you go about that to to start where like where do you start and then how do you move through that progression because i know you and i know that if you're going to do something you're not going to say well i'm going to i'm going to sort of take these shortcuts here i know you're going to take it to square one and then sort of build it going forward how do you do that yeah, I think it's probably the, the history buff of me is really coming out more than I expected today. But I think it's you look at it and you go, all right, like historically, what things grow here? What comes from this area? Mm-hmm. And you kind of start to take an inventory of that. And so that kind of goes back to the prairie turnip thing, too, is I was reading this. Essentially, it was like a not an edible history of like this state, but more of like a narrative of like this Native American group that, all right, this was their general diet and these are the things they ate. And I go, oh, what, what's a prairie turnip? Because I know what cranberries are. I know what wild rice is. What's mm-hmm. this prairie turnip? I wonder how many people in Wisconsin know that there's wild rice here. Probably Less than 20%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Less than 20%. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and even then it's like it's not a ton. Like I think most places still get it from Minnesota. But um, so, yeah, like looking at the history of it, I really enjoy and seeing, you know, and that can be applied everywhere right that's not just here that's you know even back to like if you're looking at like the middle east like fertile crescent stuff of like oh this is why they use like 
bulgur weed and, yep. and stuff like that. So looking back and exploring the history is something like I, I get enjoyment out of. And mm-hmm. then you go and start exploring into, all right, as things move forward, like what are the traditional recipes? Why why is this dish associated with this area currently? Because mm-hmm. um, you, you can even look in like a lot of the diet plans, like, oh, this is a Mediterranean diet. It's really good for you. It's like, okay, why is this the Mediterranean diet? Sure. And diving into that and saying, okay, you know, this is why these are the things that grew here. Mm-hmm. And then you start diving into cookbooks. And that gives me a really good sense. Like when I open a cookbook and start looking at the first three recipes of like, hey, is this legit? Like, is this stuff that I think is, you know, a universal principle of this cuisine? Or is this just somebody who has very token knowledge of it and just throwing stuff out there? I think that if you don't have an appreciation and an understanding of the culture, you cannot have an appreciation of the cuisine. The cuisine is a representation and maybe one of the, I think that language and food are probably two of the most important manifestations of a culture yeah food and drink yeah you gotta add the drink side you get the french with the the wines and you know throughout all these different regions i think that's representative too don't you think it's interesting and this is one of the things that i love i i'm a huge i'm a huge opponent of homogenization yeah i think that that's a tremendous mistake that everything should be like everything else i think that you know, it's maybe it's a cliche adage, but, you know, variety is the spice of life. But that's true. I think you and I would both agree on that. And I do love the fact that, as you said, food and drink are unique to their respective cultures. But also, it's not necessarily even the culture as it is so much the land where the culture developed. Yeah. You know, if you go, if you've traveled, and we have, but if you've gone to the Rhone Valley in France. The reason that that wine is as good as it is, is not only the fact that you have people there who have been doing it for generation after generation, but it's actually, and they will tell you, it's the soil, you know, the the terroir, right? I mean, it's what is in the earth there. And the plants grow down into the earth, and then that is drawn up through the plants and goes into the grape, which goes into the wine, which goes into your glass. You know, I didn't grow up with wine. It was something that I got introduced to through my wife. But it is such a fascinating subject to delve into and so complex and nuanced I, I just, I, yeah, I just, I, I could go on about it for quite a while, but I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, and I was the same way. I didn't, I, you know, I was a box Franzia family kind of thing. <laughs> and like, you know, diving further into it, like it, it is, it's absolutely fascinating. And I got really into like Japanese cuisine for a while and like learning how to do stuff that way. Mm-hmm. And when you like look at it that in France, like all these places, like this is like 600 years worth of history and cultivation of these different things and refining these techniques. So it's not just, hey, I learned how to do this yesterday. It's it's a product of having this huge line of, you know, this is why this is really popular here. And just like the story behind all this, the terroir, the, uh, you know, just that's th- all fascinating to me. Well, I think, you know, I forget exactly. I- believe it's in some documentary that I was watching, but someone said that, you know, the story of wine, and I would expand that to say the story of cuisine is the story of mankind. Yeah. And in those dishes and in that bottle is, is the history of humanity. And I think that if people were to look at it that way, as opposed to just something quick to sort of throw in their face, 
it goes, you develop an appreciation and an enjoyment, I would say, that goes far beyond just the actual moment of the eating. Yeah, and I think that people like us are looking at it right now and mm-hmm. going, we're telling a shitty story. Yeah. You know, our, our point in time and our, our people just, you know, cramming the McDonald's and stuff like that, like, it's not a good story to tell. It's not something well, it's, we can pass down or, you It's know, a tragic yeah. representation of what could be something amazing. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that always gets me is that people are very quick to uh, say why they can't do something. And I mean, that's obviously a hot button topic with me because I think that that sort of is one of the unfortunate themes of just life in general right now. But when it comes to this, like you and I don't have big yards. I grow more on my property than we can possibly eat. You know, and obviously, you know, we can talk about, you know, canning or preserving or pickling or all those kinds of things, which again, two generations ago, if you didn't know how to do that, you were, you were unusual. Yeah. And now people look like to you and I as where did you develop this superpower? Exactly. Like this sort of mystic talent. And you're like, it's salt and water. What are you talking about? Yeah. Um, but I think that the more that the topic is brought up, the more it's discussed, the more that when you're around people who aren't familiar with it, that you do bring it up, that it's encouraged, I think that there's an opportunity here to perhaps start to steer the ship back in a little bit more of the right direction. And to say to people, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be overly involved. It can be simple, and there's a beauty in the simplicity of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that would also go like to like, you know, the grocery store argument again of why like I tried to get out of it too is that the like food labeling of like I don't know what Dexy, sucrose, whatever it is. And so like the simplicity is such a big thing that I think people realize more and more with the labeling. It's like we don't need all this extra stuff. Like we have plenty of great things that can add a ton of flavor and we can preserve things in other ways that like doesn't require us pumping us ourselves full of stuff we have no idea what it like is i mean obviously people know what it is but i think the average individual doesn't know like what all that stuff is i mean i have you know you and i are both fairly educated i don't know what that stuff is i was listening to a lecture one time there was uh there was a gentleman who was you know giving a, a talk on uh, cooking and he held up a carrot he goes you know what this is because it's a carrot he's like you know what's in this carrot <laughs> it's like nothing else and then but like we laugh yeah but he said, if you pick up a box of what is supposedly food and turn it over and can't pronounce or don't know what half the ingredients are, don't buy it. He's like, why is all that stuff in there? And he's like, it's not what you're supposed to eat. And yet people don't think about that at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think one of the things that I wonder about is what does that do to you in the long term as kids? You know, you just see some of these kids just wolfing these things down because and as a child they don't know any better like a child is dependent on their parents i grew up you know and i was introduced to gardening farming by my father and he was introduced to it you know like we i come from that was sort of where my family came from if you if you backed it up a few generations and has has continued you know with my father with me with my brother with my sisters um but i ate what was put in front of me because that was what I was taught was food. Now, fortuitously for me, I was taught what I believed to be correctly. But man, is that not 
common. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why, like, kind of the education behind it of, like, us, like, being examples of that as well and you know, everyone else who does it, like, being examples of that to some extent as well is important because I'm from the other side of the coin. Like I said, I'm from the city and it was all, you know, not microwave dinners, but it wasn't, like, stuff from the farm food. Sure. And I grew to have an appreciation of that through education of sorts mm-hmm. and you know seeing some of it in practice like a place like growing power or some of these other places that are like urban gardening movement stuff and then just taking it from there and running with it so i think you know it is possible to fairly easily break that cycle and mm-hmm. say hey you know let's take a step back look at it and go yeah maybe not the tv dinners all the time and, mm-hmm. and change it but like that has to be seen and it has to be like witnessed as like a possibility mm-hmm. for that spark to ignite and you know even a funny example of that is when i had the chickens there i didn't build their structure very well that they were enclosed in and so they'd escape one day they took themselves for a walk (laughs) and they all stayed together miraculously but i get a knock on my door and it's this girl who's seven years old never seen her in my life right what's up it's like hey you're the chicken guy right Yeah, <laughs> I would assume that I'm the chicken guy in the neighborhood. She's like, uh, they're like down the street right now. Like, I'll show you where they are. And so, like, she took me to go get them. We, you know, herded them back to the house. But just even like that interaction just made me think of like the impact that I have that isn't like that I don't even realize. Sure. Of, like, this girl knows me as the chicken guy. Right. I have no idea who she is. I have no idea where she lives. She's somewhere in our neighborhood. Right. And it could be any one of you know, a thousand different houses. And right. she's like, you're the chicken guy. It's like, so just like to have an awareness, like, Hey, people can own chickens and people can like do this. And oh, yeah. yeah, maybe I look like I'm the crazy person on the block. Not compared to me, man. <laughs> then I moved in. Yeah. Then you moved in and, and I'm everything. Fine. You're <laughs> like, Oh, well, Ben's nothing compared to this. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. he's not in the backyard, like stringing, you know, deer and sheep up and butchering them out. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you're the even crazier butcher guy. And that's I just right. Have some chickens. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that, you know, that experience, you know, where I did that, um, you know, I, w- I wondered how that was going to go, Yeah. you know, and, but it ended up being a huge positive. You know, I think that people at first were like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then to have, I think like anything else, I think if you have sincere and thoughtful dialogue with people and you say, I believe in eating healthy and well and i believe in sort of assuming my own personal responsibility for my place in the food chain that i'm not content to have other people do the work that i believe i can and should do myself and that this is part of the process i also find it interesting in that people like you and i and and those like us there's no wasting of food whether it's something you grew, something you hunted, something you slaughtered, it just does not go to waste. And I think that that is something else that needs to be discussed is we as a society are almost incomprehensibly wasteful. Just like, oh, I can always get another one or there's always going to be something there. And so I'm just going to waste this. Certainly. That to me shows our our how far we have fallen when you think about when you look back that you know just our grandparents generation or perhaps a little bit older had to go through like the great depression and 
what it meant to to go to bed hungry often to now being here like how short the human memory is i think collectively is startling yeah no absolutely and like you said right i think we're very much kindred spirits in that of like you know let's not waste anything let's break this down fully you know let's make stocks out of the bones and all, all this stuff to not do that because i'm not planning on being able to just launch our trash into space and you know call it a day kind of thing like let's make do with what we have here and figure it out because it's not that difficult to do were there any influences either in your immediate family or outside of meaning perhaps a more prolific chef that that you would point to and say this person served as an example to me or someone to emulate or i learned from this person um i guess direct family not a ton um just from again like the curious standpoint i think in part too like growing up my dad's a firefighter so he'd be gone every you know other day every third day um my mom worked too so by the time i was probably seven Mm -hmm. i was you know i'll make lunch for everybody sure you know make dinner and so a lot of that was just like starting that on my own it was super simple obviously but Mm -hmm. um so it was just like that kind of sparked it and then um more broadly i think once Michael Pollan, like once I read his stuff of, you know, how to go through a supermarket and stay on the outsides of it so you only get, you know, the fresh foods, the dairies, that kind of thing, and not get into like the processed area was just something that like clicked so naturally and just like became ingrained almost immediately that I think that was a huge influence on it. Um, And otherwise, again, I like to paint a super broad brush with it. So I'll take bits and pieces from all over the place sure. but to say like specifically one person that like really sticks out. I, I don't, I don't think I have that. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, sometimes it's like little bits and pieces coming from all over to sort of make a, make the collective picture. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Is there, can you point to somebody that way? Oh yeah. Um, I would say without a doubt, like my father's mother. Yeah. Um, you know, she came, you know, she grew up small farm town in Europe. And, um, you know, that was, they, everything we're talking about, they did those things. It was, you know, you, you grew your own fruits and vegetables and you preserved it in, you know, in the old way. She tells a story about when she was a little girl and they would make sauerkraut for the winter. And they had these very large wooden barrels. And because she was small, her mom would wash her feet and she would put her in the barrel and her job was to stomp it down. And, you know, we made homemade sauerkraut this year. And, but those pictures, those stories, they, they, they live on in my mind. And then for me also, the big, a big thing about food is how it brings people together. You know, obviously my family, your family, we've sat down, we've broken bread many a time. And that's things that I look, I think that you and I, our friendship really was solidified in those moments. And when I think about other people that I care about, family, friends, people that are truly near and dear to my heart, the times with them that I enjoy, I think some of the most is when we're around the table together. And when I look back on my grandmother, one of my most favorite places in the world was her kitchen and her table. And as I got old enough and began to appreciate food beyond just what I was putting in my mouth, but what she was doing in the preparation of it, I and my brother began to cook with her. And I think that's really where things ignited. Now, there's certainly like other chefs that I could point to, you know, people like Paul Bocuse, right? Was that guy, I mean, 
was transcendent. That, that um, was going to be my guess. When I asked the question, I thought that that may be it, but the the ground part is fascinating too. And I, I totally agree with that too, is it's more of a community event than anything else. Of, mm-hmm. You know, like, and I can, you know, I say my family didn't do a ton, but like family holidays was always cooked. And, yeah. you know, I, I've met various people who it's, oh, we just order like for Christmas or for that. Like, you know, we just order a bunch of stuff in. And it's like that, like, I don't even enjoy those holidays then. Like it, most of the holiday for me is hanging out in the kitchen, ovens on, it's 80 degrees in there because there's too many people and we're all yelling over each other and drinking too much. So, yeah, yeah I, I totally, totally get, you know, where you're coming from there too. And I think that the I think that if you can expand that and that it different and that that more than just you, but maybe other members of the family also begin to enjoy the process as well, then bringing that together collectively is even more fun for like when we get together for Thanksgiving. Now, all of us like to cook, you know, and my brother and I are obviously like very heavily involved in hunting. And so now, in addition to the turkey, for example, for Thanksgiving, which obviously has to make an appearance for tradition's sake, there's wild game, which shows up. And the fact that everyone can be together and contribute in a way, you know, they talk about like hunter-gatherer, you know, um, societies, and that everyone was valued because everyone contributed. There's a sense of self-worth that comes with being able to provide something to the collective good. And I think that that's, that means a lot to me. Yeah, I, I, that, uh, that actually dawns kind of a, a funny story I have as well, where um, I stood out to, you know, a segment of the in-laws family because for a Thanksgiving, similar thing where, you know, I grew up just cooking and everything, whole family in there. They weren't as much that. And so like, all right, we're going to do a Thanksgiving this year. And I'm like, all right, sweet. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit crazy. Cause I know like they got the standards Sure. Down. Like they love the stuffing, they love the turkey, they love the cranberry sauce. Mm. I'm going to do roasted root vegetable dish with, you know, rosemary and also make a boatload of it. Like got way too much food anyways, but like, yeah, it's, we're going to overeat. It's a holiday and it's great. Right. So I have like two big like containers of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time we're going, we go over there, you know, put it all out. I'm fired up about it. Like I thought it was fantastic. Like I loved it and was eating a whole bunch. Towards the end of the night, I get back up to the, you know where all the food is again and kind of putting stuff away i'm like the only person that's eating it it's like me and my <laughs> wife and nobody else has touched it and i was just crushed i'm like i'm never cooking for these people again <laughs> and have you cooked for them since no no really no i they're cut off man really i'd rather cook for you guys or you know rather cook for people who are going to appreciate it do you think that they didn't appreciate it because it was new or they just weren't willing to try or like what yeah, do you think that I mean, is all that yeah yeah it's just you know you come ingrained of like oh you know we just get the butterball turkey and the stovetop stuffing and mm-hmm. we're all super happy with that and so to shift that comfort zone a little bit and you know maybe it's taking away from their tradition their idea of what sure. the tradition is a little bit too and you know i understand that part but i think the other part is like oh that's you know was that celerac in there like i don't know what that is i'm not going to eat it and kind of thing like that fear too that i think if you're just not exposed to that stuff it's like uh probably isn't good i'm not gonna have i do think that having an open mind is very important both when it comes to cooking and when it comes to eating yeah i think that you know and what i tell people is like how boring is it if you went into baskin robbins every time and got vanilla like there's 31 flavors for a reason man i mean like go ahead get some of that orange sherbet they're like yeah you know have a little cookies and you know admit ice cream or something like that I, i i think that there's a general reluctance to that but i think that it's important for people that are willing to step up and sort of have a louder voice and say no you're missing out 
try it out. Like you don't, you shouldn't certainly not force anything on anybody, but you should, you should try this out. Well, that would be me next time at the family holiday. If I do it again, I'm going to stand up there, and as people go by, I'm just going to like kind of ladle it on, like just did you give it a shot? You love it. <laughs> and they would. I bet you that they would. Sure. You know, I um, have you ever been introduced to something, or has anyone ever done that to you, where you would have perhaps passed on something, but because someone suggested that you try it, that you enjoyed it, and that it then became part of you know what you would point to as part of you know. Yeah, I, I think I think probably one of the seminal like initial moments of us becoming friends mm-hmm. was you guys come down by the house and we have you know four bottles of wine ready to go. You guys show up with four bottles of wine. Yeah, you were having you know that is easily the, one of my favorite nights. The, this far, yeah. man. <laughs> the plan was just to have some appetizers too, and it's eight p.m. We're like, oh man, we haven't really eaten much, so we're just like pulling stuff out of our fridges, grabbing stuff out of the garden, and you come down with like some sort of stuffed sardine thing of some capacity i don't even remember what it was but you know normally i like nah no thanks i probably had a little bit of wine confidence sure and then just also was just, it the sardine paste i probably i think okay. that's what it was it's from spain or something like that no, I think. it was from portugal portugal there we yeah, go yeah well you know where i got introduced to that stuff was actually south africa <laughs> okay so we know we were in south africa and we were staying with friends and um the uh getting up having breakfast very nice we're out on sort of the patio and uh, the lady of the house um, had made toast, and she said, "Would you like any, uh, you know, sardine paste with that?" And I mean, what? <laughs> right? Excuse I mean, like, me. What could sound more bizarre to you know an American yeah. for breakfast to start your day than sardine paste on toast? Excuse me. I'm like, you know, butter, jelly, something like that, you know. But she's like, you have to try it. It's absolutely amazing. Okay, now I love this woman and I trust her opinion. She definitely knows what good food is. We've been out to eat many, many times before. Okay, fine. Yep. Gives me a jar. Certainly smells like, you know, sardine paste. <laughs> and she's like, put a little bit of butter on your bread, put a little bit of this over on the top. And it was sublime. It was absolutely amazing. And if I had turned my nose up at it and be like, I don't want to try this, I would have missed out on it. And then we went to Portugal, they had tons of it. And it was even better than the stuff that I had in South Africa. So that's what you brought some of it back, and that's what you had. Yeah, it just down the line right to me to doing the same thing you are of like, I guess I trust this dude. We're going to roll with it and you see have how to. it goes. You have to. <laughs> yeah. You know, is there anything that you haven't eaten? Or like, I guess, two uh, twofold question. What are some of the more obscure things you've eaten that you feel, that, and, and how would you rate them as either thumbs up or thumbs down? Mm-hmm. And is there anything that you would be interested in trying that you haven't yet? So I'm going to start from the back of that question. I'm going to go, I've, I haven't tried like cuttlefish. Okay. Okay. Mainly because like the, the name doesn't sound super appealing <laughs> <laughs> if for no other reason. Because like I love seafood, love all that stuff. It's like if I can choose between like the swordfish or the cuttlefish, right. I'm going to go the swordfish. Okay. <laughs> okay. So partially that and yeah, just like the perception, like I don't know if that would be any good. So that's something that would be on the radar of okay. like, I wonder how this is. Sure. Um, that that I think I would try if I you know get the confidence up and going a little bit. Okay. Um, in terms of the stuff I've eaten that's off the wall that I enjoy. Oh man, I don't know if I can think of one off the top of my head. Probably because I've like normalized it in my head at this okay. point of like, sure. oh, like that's fine. Like I eat like eel on sushi and that doesn't like stick out to me. Right. Um. So yeah, nothing that I can really point to and say like, oh, that's a weird thing that. I, oh no, I, I probably can. Okay. As a, you know, 
European descent and origin, uh, Braunschweiger. Uh-huh. Big, big in my house growing up. Like, yeah. that was just like the the one shred of any like ethnicity my family has was like, we eat Braunschweiger. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think it was probably like most people look at it and go, like, no, not, I'm not going to have it. Like, right? I'm like, yeah, let's fry that baby up. Like, yeah. throw a little ketchup Absolutely. on it. Absolutely, man. I'm all about that for yeah. sure. You're speaking my, you're speaking my language now. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Hit me, hit me with your list. Oh, man. Um, so I am pretty open to just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, I'll, even if it's just for novelty sake for the first time, just to say that I've tried it, yeah. I, I want to, I'm all about the experience. I want to, sure. I haven't had that before. Let's, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, kangaroo. I was going to, it was weird that I was thinking kangaroo in my head. I was going to ask you if kangaroo, cause I was like, what's super off the wall. Let's talk kangaroo. But you're already, you already had, I've had kangaroo and it is delicious. It's a, it's a very dark red meat. Um, you know, it's darker red than beef. I would say that's probably like really high quality venison. Um, a little but tougher, little, no, no. no. Um, I mean, again, I don't think venison is tougher yeah. than beef depending on how it's not as marbled. Sure. It's a leaner meat, but it was, it was superb when I have, I've had it. Um, obviously I eat a lot of wild game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I've been over in Africa, I've had some, you know, a lot of different, um, species of animals over there. Um, all of it. Very, very good. I'm a big believer in the fact that the quality of something is one, how it either was raised or how it lived and what it was eating, um, but then also like how it was prepared. Yeah. I feel like I've had the conversation of venison and it being gamey like more times than I can recount. And what I tell people is, I said, it has everything to do with how it was prepared. If it was prepared poorly, it's going to have, and you can, you know, People who hunt and people who are familiar with, you know, with deer will tell you that there's something on the back leg called a tarsal gland. And the tarsal gland, you know, emits sort of like this very pungent oil, which the deer use to mark their territory. And then if you get that on your knife as you butcher the meat, it's going to have an off flavor. But if you know what you're doing and you remove those glands before you butcher the deer, it's some of the best tasting stuff you've ever had in your life. Um, I've had rattlesnake thought that was really interesting <laughs> sure. uh, there was a time where i think eating alligator was probably a novelty i think that that's pretty common now yeah. but i really enjoy that um and as far as what i'd like to try i think there's a lot of interesting stuff being done now with like fermented foods oh, um sure. beyond just like you know everybody knows like kimchi or sauerkraut or things like that but um there's like like and the aging of meats and whether it be, you know, like dry aging or there's some people out there doing like room temperature aging now, which you really have to be, know what you're doing, otherwise <laughs> you're going to get real sick. But I'm just, I guess it's more out of a curiosity yeah. for me to, to try those things. So you're going to try to make like a kimchi beer too? I've heard of those. You know what? That dovetails beautifully into uh, <laughs> my next question. Yeah, no, I, so the brewing has, you know, for those of you who don't know, Ben is actually the one that got me into to brewing. Uh, I went into his basement one time, and it was like walking into the mad scientist laboratory, <laughs> and there's beakers and bottles and carboys everywhere. And uh, so we started brewing together, what, like two years now? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what? The last three that I just put in the bottle all came out splendidly. I don't know that I'd want to drink kimchi, so I don't know yeah. that that's what I would put in the bottle. Oh, it sounds bad. I, I've heard of it before. It sounds awful. So I, There's a lot of people doing a lot of different <laughs> things out there as far as brewing, man. Yep. I mean, like, what about you? I mean, like, what, what are your, what's your next project or two? What's in the hopper? 
Um, I'm trying to just like freestyle more now. Okay. Instead of kind of going off like, a, oh, this is, you know, how this beer is made. And like, I'll like, you know, tweak it a little bit now. Sure. Like I'm just trying to like build them from the ground up and okay. make sure that it's not a terrible, awful Frankenstein beer. Sure. Um, that it's actually like decent. And so I, I played around with an Oktoberfest a little bit last year. Mm-hmm. This year I'm going to go like full bore on it and mm-hmm. hopefully have like a keg available for Oktoberfest. Um, Excellent, because we're having the Oktoberfest party this year. Yeah, great. Roll <laughs> that thing right on down the street, man. I'll be waiting absolutely, for you. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's kind of refining some of like the technical logistics behind like going from like bottling to kegging too, to mm-hmm. some extent. Which I mean, it's not a huge jump, but just scaling up a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, just kind of playing around with like flavors I like. So my wife really likes uh, like coconut beers, mm-hmm. and so you know, can we put a coconut into an amber and see how does that go? Sure. And, so that's a little smaller scale because if it's terrible, I don't want to have like you know a million bottles of it. No, oh, absolutely. So just kind of mad scientisting it until I find something like I like, and then I'll like scale that up and make it. Okay. In larger. What kind of you know? It's interesting. What do you enjoy in in your beer? And I guess when I'm saying beer, I'm referring to like all the ales that we do and things like that. And I would even expand it and say as far as like ciders. There's. It seems like that. What is available in a bottle now is almost endless yeah whereas when you and i were even in college you know something like blue moon was considered exotic <laughs> i mean it really was yeah was that because we were like poor or was that because we were i don't know man i just you know i i just don't ever remember seeing anything like yeah. that and now you go everywhere and i mean there's you lose count i mean in the town of milwaukee i mean like what a, what an interesting place to be in the, in the from from a brewing standpoint and the fact that this was sort of the epicenter of American brewing to begin with yeah and then how that went away into just maybe like I guess Miller yeah pretty much that was it in part because it was our fault and we super scaled up everything exactly yeah. and we were just satisfied with garbage yeah you know which is not to say that I don't enjoy a, a good high life every now and then but it's you know I enjoy a variety of things but I mean Jesus you going to raise now. There must be 500 different choices. Yeah. From a, a, I mean, right. not only, I mean, certainly from around the world, but here in the city alone, I mean, how many different breweries do you think we have at this point? There's got to be 30. I was going to say there's probably over two dozen. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And there's new ones cropping up all the time. And I love that. I love the fact that, you know, you're just going to, someone's like, hey, we can do this. And here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Pete's working behind a desk. Absolutely. And yeah, I know people that have done that. Like it's, that's the exact mentality too. It's like, Hey, this is pretty fun. Like I'd rather do this and stare at spreadsheets all day. So let's just have some fun with it and do it. So the guys that you know, like, are we allowed to say which organization that is? Um, so one of them like indirectly is, uh, like Eagle park that started out super small here. Mm -hmm. Um, wife like went to school. He lived on their block too. Uh, venture brewing over mm-hmm. here as well uh have you been to venture brewing i have several times and i've not been there yet i mean yeah. i was planning on getting over there before the whole rona thing blew up on us it's great all the the, the one criticism i do have of like microbreweries and mm-hmm. you know brew snobs like myself is the obsession with sours has just got to end there's too many places that are putting out a ton of sours i hate that beer Okay, but, so but is that a personal gripe or like? Oh, no, absolutely personal. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But, so like they always have a couple of those, but then there's like several others on tap, and they they like to get real creative with it too. Sure. Um, so yeah, they're they're awesome over there, and um, 
So, yeah, I, I dig it. I think that, you know, we're super fortunate in the fact that we've got Northern Brewer right down the street, which yeah. if you're looking to get into home brewing is just, like, got to be, like, it's just you're a kid in a candy store. And the guys that work over there, like, are just some of the coolest people, like, that you walk in and you you could have absolutely zero knowledge, and they'll walk you through the whole thing. And you'll walk, you, you go home that night and, you know, set up shop in the kitchen and get down to it, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Absolutely. And like my office, like that, just like things like, you know, imagine going somewhere where you can go into work, you can just talk about drinking all day and you have beer on tap. Like how amazing would that be? But then I thought about it. It's like, actually, you know, at my office now it has, there's like a beer tapper in there. And I think that's like becoming more like the norm too of like, really? hey, we're going to expect you to work for, you know, 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week. Like, just we'll, we'll put some drinks in there. We started taking that out, like, you know, in the well, 50s, like, it got we, problematic, but now we're going to put it back in. Well, I just love the idea of, like, you know, people, what, like, we're actually going to act like adults. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. That I don't need to, like, be, we're not, you know, holding shop here in a, you know, in a preschool where I got to be standing <laughs> over you with the ruler in case I need to slap your knuckles. I mean, exactly. come on, man. Exactly. Yeah. Now, that, um, so a buddy of mine, his wife, um, she uh, used to work in naval intelligence. And then sort of, uh, you know, mid-early 2000s, a lot of things in that uh, arena became privatized. And she went to work for a private company. And she would tell us that, like, on Friday afternoons, like, this... And because you're dealing with sort of very high-speed, low-drag people, they would actually have a service come to the office and just wheel around, like, a bar on wheels. It was just a drink cart. And they would just come by wherever you were at, and it would just refresh your cocktail like you were sitting at the crab's table at the casino yeah <laughs> greatest thing ever i'm like i'm still waiting for that to happen uh, Absolutely. it hasn't played out yet <laughs> so so coconut beers are on the menu anything else that's going right now um yeah basically anything but sours <laughs> <laughs> make a mental note of that yeah yeah it, it got hard to like you know with being locked down more so mm -hmm. uh just like having the space to do this stuff like when I'm on top of a bunch of other people got more difficult. So sure. took a little bit of a, a step back. And like I said, like just do more like really, really small scale of like, Hey, let's put this, like, I'm going to keep it in the, the log for, you know, when I do get like to brew in a bunch again, then I'm going to make this one right away. Sure. So it's probably, I think I have on the list, there's probably an IPA an Oktoberfest and like a coconut. How stout. many people do you think when they go to the bar and they order a beer and they're like, oh, I'm going to have an IPA or I'm going to have an Oktoberfest, they actually understand the difference between what they're ordering. Like this is an IPA because of this yeah. and this is an Oktoberfest because of this. I think that answer's changed a ton in probably the past five years even. Okay. But at, at this point, probably, I mean, I'd like to think 50-50. Sure. But it's possible it's lower than that. And I think, again, like if you asked that question five years ago, it's probably... 10% okay. you know, kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, I think people are like at least more knowledgeable on it. Like even my dad, who's like a straight like Bud Light drinker. Sure. Um, like knows like, oh, what makes this an IPA? And it's probably because I'm ranting during holidays after having a few too many about how to make them. But, um, you know, I think the general like layman has a better understanding now. Like, oh, this is why I like Bud Light or this is why like I like this kind of beer. Not just like, oh, this one's dark. This is light. We're going to give it a shot and see which one I like. And I'm going to stick with this for the next 50 years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Again, it goes to like sort of uh, what am I willing to try? Yeah. Um, that's cool. Are you have you ever thought about maybe like doing your own wine? Um, no. Because I think there's some people that really know what the hell they're doing sure. in the wine business. Yeah. That, Fair enough. And it's not very expensive okay. to get like a decent bottle of wine that yeah. I'd rather just let the experts take care of that one. Where beer, it's like, ah, I buy enough. Like I should probably like, start <laughs> making my own. And it's not incredible. Like the terroir doesn't make a 
big sure. difference in yeah. beer as it does. Like, I, and actually, that's pr- part of the reason. Apparently, that Milwaukee has some sort of like fame, and that is like our water is awesome for making beer. Yeah, it's like Kentucky is you know has the limestone water good for bourbon. Ours good for beer in some capacity. It might just be us like trying to find ways that like, hey, our beer's better. But um, you know, I, I think yeah, I love French wine like that kind of stuff. Like that's just. There's places where that works really well, and yeah. they have super fresh stuff. Where I'm going to try it out, and not because yeah. I think I'm going to be any good at it, but yeah. just because I want to actually have the experience of taking it from, you know, I mean, we have obviously vines in the back, yeah. and harvesting that, and can I do it? Can I take it from, this was, you know, the grape on the vine, to now this is in the bottle, I'm going to drink it and not go blind. Yeah. So, <laughs> What kind know, of grapes do you have in back? I, who knows? I mean, probably like just Concord or something like okay. that. I mean, something, I, and I have very, very low expectations of the quality of this wine. Yeah. But just that someone would drink it and be like, this is at least, this is wine. It is an alcoholic this is This is made from grapes, and we, we would at least call this wine. Yeah. Poor wine, probably, yeah. but it's wine. <laughs> and I'm just curious to see if, you know, because I think, again, it goes back. If I can do that, then the next time I pull the, you know, cork on a bottle of, you know, Shaft yeah. Enough to Pop, you're going to be like, wow. Yeah. Knowing what I made and the, <laughs> the swill that that was yeah. gives me a greater appreciation for how amazing this is. Maybe do a blind tasting and have them both next Probably to each other. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. Not, uh, not with anybody that I would like anyway. So your father-in-law is, well, every time that we brew, you got, you're always taking the grains to him because yeah. he's like a pretty prolific baker. Yep. Is that something that you have gotten into? Like, There's usually a... Um, kind of a hard split. People are like, oh, I like to cook or I like to bake, and there's usually not a middle ground. I find myself very comfortable in between both. Okay. What about you? So I lack the precision to be an elite baker. Okay. I very much like sprinkle a little bit of this, throw some of that yeah. in there, and like this is delicious now. Isn't it interesting how <laughs> cooking is like that, but baking is very precise? Yeah. Like exactly. that, there's a, that's a huge thing, and I don't think a lot of people appreciate that. Yeah. Is cooking is an art. You know, like my grandmother would be like, you know. Add a pinch of this. Well, what's a pinch? I don't know. And she just knew it from doing it a thousand times. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, you, you, she would put some in, taste it. It's not enough. A little bit more. Taste it again. There we go. Yeah. But baking, you can't do that. No. It's 50 grams, <laughs> and, and that's how you do it. Yep, exactly. And so that I tried it a few times, and that kind of chased me off where I was like, this loaf isn't supposed to be gray. <laughs> like, what, what happened here? And so, like, I love, like, you know, the yeast interaction on everything, too, I think is fascinating. But it kind of goes back to, like, the wine thing of, like, that dude's a boss at making bread. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to let him make bread. I'm going to trade him for the soups I make okay. kind of thing and, like, do it that way. Or, like, you know, I'll give him my grains and all that. So, you know, stay in your lane a little bit where, you know, I tried it. I gave it a shot. It was fine. Dude, I'm all over the highway. I'm just <laughs> – I'm like that guy that – you know, had yeah. too many to drinks, and he's trying to text. And yeah. He's just weaving in and out of land. It's not, that's my. I'm all over the land. Yeah. yeah, and I think to your credit, I've tried your bread, and it's much better than mine. So you know, it was interesting. So um, I tried to get another sourdough starter going. Yeah. And this time I was doing it with rye flour, and it the, the starter just it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't, going. wasn't going. And I was so curious as to what was going on. I was trying to figure it out, and what I figured out was that since the last time that I had it started going, we had a water filtration system put in in the house. Oh. And what I was using is I was using water from the water filtration system, which has, like, chlorine in it. Yeah. And the chlorine was killing off killing the yeast. So I've actually got another one going now with just um, 
water that's not out of the filtration system and it's starting to come to life but i just nice. it was one of those like interesting things like i'm like what is what's going on why yeah. is this not growing it's the the mad scientist approach again of just like hey let's try this out it's not working what's going on like you need to like re-diagnose it and i guess maybe we're not as mad as we think but like yeah. being able to like retrace the more steps. than some less than others i suppose <laughs> For sure, but like just rechasing the steps and using like that scientific process to an extent. Do you like, do you make a lot of notes when you brew or when you cook? I try to, and then like half time the pages are soaked and you know they're not legible or something. But sure. I'll uh, I'll try to make notes of you know this is what I did and like you know it came down to this decision or something sure. like absolutely. That's more so in brewing than cooking. Okay, we're cooking. One of the thoughts I had, like, for my daughter, too, was, like, since I love this so much, I want to make her, like, a cookbook of, like, recipes that, like, I love making that we make all the time for her growing up. That's cool. And, yeah, it is, but I have three pages done, and that's it. Because, again, there's no precision to what I do. To, so to say, like, three tablespoons of this, like, is me thinking, like, all right, I just kind of pour it. Like, that's probably about three tablespoons. Yeah, but I wouldn't prevent you from doing that because I think, yeah. you know, I would say that the same thing applied from how I learned from my grandmother and my mother. But... What it provides you with is the basic scaffolding on which yeah. to build your own. One of the things and that I always am sort of amused by is people always be like, oh, I can never get it to taste just like my grandmother's. Yeah, because it's not your grandmother's. Yeah. You are, it's your recipe now. Like you're making it your way. It's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. You might be able to get it close but I don't think that one person can exactly replicate another person's dish. And I think that that's cool, too. I think that it's something that evolves over time. I think that, you know, you're going to make your notes and you're going to give the instruction that you can give. And then your daughter eventually, if and when she decides that she wants to pursue it, is going to take that and use it as the foundation to build on. Yeah. So I don't necessarily, I wouldn't worry so much about the exact precision of, oh, it's got to be A, B, and C to the nth degree like you said you paint with a broad brush and she'll fill in the fine details i'm gonna have you write the preface for the book <laughs> i think that'll just solve the problem of just, just use the scaffolding line and i think right be perfect we'll be good from that but yeah and to your point too even like you know i think that's interesting like this it's not gonna be exactly like my grandmother's because even like the smallest thing of you know with cookies for example like the way i mix it like i'm six five 200 pounds and how i stir something handsome for, too chisel jawline yeah, yeah exactly a lot of people, so just for the people who are listening to this they can't see what i've got across the table from me right now i'm just trying to provide a little context yeah just putting some sugar on there um but like how i stir something versus my grandmother who's five five and 100 pounds soaking wet like just the consistency is going to come out different just from that alone like yep. so just like the tiniest little tweaks well and that's the thing too is yeah. people don't appreciate how much impact the little details have on something yeah on everything no matter what it is if it's cooking or you know whatever it is you might choose to do it's just the little details they add up yep yeah absolutely so it's and that's part of what i love about it too is like it's so imprecise and it's so different person to person mm -hmm. that you know you can have some fun with it you got any recipes you're working on right now no i just started going back to the pasta well i hadn't been making pasta much because you know trying to get a little lower on the weight the pandemic weight hasn't been great but um, <laughs> I, I was joking around calling it COVID-19 at first and I think it might have exceeded that so I've stopped making the joke uh, but yeah I hadn't heard that one so that's, yeah. you get credit for that <laughs> but uh, so now you know shed a little bit of that and started to you know not be a gigantic 
person um is like all right now let's get those carbs moving again let's pack ourselves full of some of this pasta and everything and mm-hmm. that that's one of the things that i one of the first things i started with was doing pasta because again like you look at the ingredients for pasta and mm-hmm. i was like oh it's egg flour maybe a little salt maybe a little olive oil and you look at you know boxed pasta and it's like there's a lot of not that in here. Like, and so I was like, I'm going to try to do this. Wait a Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's so easy to do, like, again, basic ingredients and everything. They're like, oh, let's do that. And so um, I've been diving into those again and going to experiment with just, like, different ravioli fillings and mm-hmm. everything. Um, did a, I think it's interesting that, like, while there are definitely, like, unique characteristics to each cuisine, there are also certain commonalities. Sure. Right? Like, Every culture, just about every culture, has some form of the ravioli. Yeah. Right? <laughs> some form of pasta with a filling. And it comes with many different names. Like in German, it's maltaschen. Yeah. Right? But, and, you know, for the Polish, it's pierogies. Yep. Right? Exactly. It's the same exact thing, just with a different name. And I just, I find that, you know, like we, you know, everyone wants to say how different we all are, but, you know, we got a lot of things in common, too. I think that there's a lesson to be learned there. So as, as someone who's married to a very Irish lady... Um, is the Irish version of that just a loaded baked potato? Uh, <laughs> I assume their conversion for most things is <laughs> getting real problematic. You're going right to get in before, trouble for that one. Yeah, once getting you hear real this. problematic right before Saint right. Patrick's Day. <laughs> no, that's cool. So, do you have a like one of the things? I mean, there's there's obviously like the spaghettis, the linguinis, these kinds of things like that. But I also think like like gnocchi. Watching people make that, like yeah. watching people do that by hand, you know, in, in like in a old school either like in just in someone's house or in a real pasta kitchen yeah is fascinating to me yeah oh absolutely i want to get into like rolled pastas Mm -hmm. at some point um and like there's so many like shortcuts for doing them like i want to do it like authentic rolled pasta Mm -hmm. and i feel like i need to go to italy and just like talk to an old lady there and figure out how to like do it because you can watch some stuff on youtube and everything and then i try it and it's like these look nothing like this looks terrible so that's uh that's definitely something on my radar too i think that just striking up that conversation with people like if you i that's i completely agree with you someone of that gen like of you know our more senior generation has that knowledge and it's just yeah. a matter of like connecting with them and saying hey would you be willing to teach me this like you don't need to go to a cooking school yeah you know one of the greatest lines that bourdain ever had you know like i'm i'm not really about like the celebrity thing i can mm-hmm. do without 98 percent of them yeah but he was someone that i like was always impressed by and it was towards the you know sort of the end of his life he was in the middle of this interview and the question was posed to him what's the best food that you've ever had and his response was so insightful and he's like you know he's like I've traveled the world I've eaten in all these amazing restaurants you know Michelin three stars he's like that's not where the best food is he goes, the best food is down the street in someone's grandmother's kitchen. He's like, the best food is not something that you put a suit and tie on to go eat or that you have to have fine china or multiple forks. He's like, the best food is the place where you roll up your sleeves and you eat with your hands. And I was like, my man is speaking some truth right there. Is <laughs> yeah. someone who's done that, like, I could not agree. I don't know that anybody's ever said anything about food ever that I agreed with more than that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I just, I'm flashing back to making pasta like yesterday. I had finished my dinner before I had served dinner, mm-hmm. where I'm just in there like, all right, let's try it. Oh, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm going to yeah. bite of this and, like, mix with the sauce. Like, how's the sauce? 
oh yeah sauce is good i think now let's try one more <laughs> like kind of thing and just yeah i'm done eating by the time i'm done cooking so, right yeah <laughs> even with your hands just like rang true to me there well too. there's there's just a there's a it should be a visceral experience i mean yeah. yes it should certainly be like you could say you know like a cerebral experience and definitely like there's a you know a spiritual quality to it absolutely but there should be a visceral enjoyment of your food yeah. i mean ultimately like we are animals and like you should be able to sink your teeth into something and come away from it like feeling like physically satiated yep and i think that that's yeah i completely agree with that well and then just circling it back to like how this conversation essentially started too is that i think that's what puts us in this category of like wanting to do our own stuff and wanting to break away from just like the yeah throwing mcdonald's down your throat not paying attention to even what it tastes like and moving on we're like you want to enjoy it again sink your teeth into it taste like all the flavors that come out in this burger that you made as opposed to just eating for straight sustenance and moving yeah. on well i just think you want the best possible experience and why would you cheapen that like why would you not if someone said that you can have a mediocre experience or an amazing experience i don't think anybody out there be like yeah mediocre is good for me and yet that's the choice that so many people make with so many things that they do and in this case what they eat like you're just gonna settle for quote unquote okay when with a little bit of effort like you could have incredible yeah like i'm just not willing to settle for okay like i just i guess in anything that i do but certainly not in this you yeah i know right shocking <laughs> It's your eyebrows scooting up. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome, man. Well, listen, dude, I really appreciate, you know, you taking the time to come and, and sit down. And, and uh, I know that we will do this again. And I'm very much looking forward to, you know, spending some time in the kitchen with you and the families and, and sitting down and getting after that again. And definitely, you know, with the weather warming up, us getting outside and comparing some notes and, and uh, growing some good stuff out of the earth. So I appreciate you. Yeah. All right, man. Talk All to right. you. See you guys later. Again, if you want to reach out to us. It's uh, www.modernsavagenation.com or modernsavagenation at gmail.com. See ya.